This is Dual Perspectives. I'm Yukari Peerless. podcast, Dual Perspectives. After a hiatus of about three years, I'm back to podcasting in English. As you all know, the last three years have been such strange times. And now that we are somewhat on the other side of the pandemic, I just wanted to rebrand and start fresh. But the core of the show hasn't changed much. I just enjoy having a guest and having a meaningful conversation, and I hope you do too. In case you don't know me, my name is Yukari Peerless. I am an uninvited guest currently living and working in the traditional territories of the Lukwangan peoples, also known as the Songhees and Esquimalt nations. I am a Japanese landed immigrant and permanent resident of Canada, and I've lived here for about 25 years. If you want to learn more about me, all this info is in the show note. Now, the first guest on the brand new season is Shion Sky Carter. Shion is a dance artist originally from Gifu, Japan, who lives and dedicates time and their artistic practice in Vancouver. I've interacted with her online, but the first time we met in real life, Was at the Gay Art Symposium last September 2022 in Victoria. She was sweet, warm, and friendly, as you will soon hear in this episode, and I immediately liked her and thought she should be on the first guest for my new podcast. Restarting the English podcast was one of my goals for 2023, and when we recorded this episode, it was July. And now it's October and I'm releasing this to you all. Sorry it took so long, Xion, but without further ado, enjoy the conversation with Xion Sky Carter. Well, welcome, Xion Sky Carter. So nice to see you like across the screen, but. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Ikari, for having me. This is so nice to chat with you. And、um, yeah, it's been I've too had, long. I've had your podcast downloaded on my phone actually for a while. And really? I've listened to, yeah, a couple episodes here and there. So it was really cool to have English you、one? ask me. Yeah. Okay. Because you had、um, you had Shigematsu on, right? Yeah, Tetsuro. Yeah. Yeah, Tetsuro. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, Um, just getting familiar with more of the people、right. in our community and、yeah. stuff. And so, yeah, really cool that you have a podcast. I think that's really <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.、Um, okay, well, I think most of the people who listen to this will probably know who you are. But、uh, for those who don't, if you could just briefly、uh, introduce yourself, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my name is Xian Sky Carter. I use she, they pronouns, and I'm a contemporary dance artist and choreographer based in so called Vancouver, BC. And yeah, I've been working over the past five years since graduating from the dance program at Simon Fraser University, creating my own projects and choreographing for stage performances, as well as site specific work and some music videos, things like that. 
And I also have an interdisciplinary duo with my partner, Stefan mm-hmm. Nazaravich, who is a musician. And the two of us uh, bring our practices of movement and uh, improvised sound and music together. And we try to kind of share our skills and create like a level playing field for our disciplines in one space. So yeah, I've been dabbling in those things for the past five years or so. Wow, it's only been five years? Yeah, I finished my the dance program in 2018. And then I did an extra year to finish my kinesiology minor degree. So okay. 2019 is when I finished university. Yeah. Wow. Like I kind of have a because I see you so much like, you know, online and in media doing stuff like, yeah, it's kind of unbelievable. That's been only five years that you're doing this. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm really grateful to have gotten opportunities to continue um, creating and performing, especially with the pandemic happening right after I graduated. I was yeah. really, I panicked for a little bit um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and wasn't sure if my dance career was going to keep moving forward or what was going to happen. So I'm really thankful that um, there were different ways to continue creating work and mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, that the arts were able to keep continue thriving throughout the pandemic, even though it was in different ways and more digital projects yeah. and things like that. But right, right. <laughs> super grateful. Awesome. Um, so, okay, well, tell me your story. I, I know you're originally from Gifu in Japan. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe your mom is Japanese and your dad is from Canada mm-hmm. and you came to Canada when you were six. Yes. Yeah. And I also, I learned that you studied Japanese at the Gladstone Japanese school. Yes, I did in Burnaby <laughs> at the Nikkei museum and cultural That's center. So awesome. That was like my second home. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that um, is something I'm so grateful that my parents did was put me in Japanese school because, yeah, uh, yeah like you said, I was born in Japan, um, born in Gifuken, but moved to, uh, near Nagoya and lived okay. there until I was six years old, um, just based off of my parents working. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my mom's family, they all still live in Gifu. And mm-hmm. when we go visit, uh, we go back there quite often. And after moving here, I didn't speak English when we arrived, but I know that I would have lost my Japanese language so quickly at that age. So I'm really grateful that my parents put me in Japanese school, even though I complained about the extra homework. (laughs) I think we all do. I think, yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough. And, you know, like I don't expect anyone to raise bilingual children because it's so Mm. hard. And I yeah. like, really, I, I'm one of those moms who couldn't do it. Like, I was like, this is so hard. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, so my kids don't speak Japanese. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel a little bit guilty about that. But <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to put that on the parents because it's so hard. So, you know, for yeah. the people who actually do raise, you know, bilingual children, I'm like, I have to give it to them because I know how hard it is. So yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And it probably helped that my dad can speak Japanese. So mm-hmm. there was like the bit of that, um, I guess, like both of them being able to communicate in both languages probably yeah. helped. Um, yeah. But when I was going to Japanese school, I could see how there were a lot of kids that 
um, went to the school that were in similar, had similar family backgrounds and were mm-hmm. similar, similar situations as me um, and a lot of mixed kids as well. Yeah. Um, but also to see everyone's language level be really different was yeah. really interesting too, because I felt very insecure about my Japanese level compared to some other kids who um, they just really took to it really well. And they were doing like debate competitions in Japanese oh, right. and doing yeah. high level exams. And um, I was a little, yeah, comparing myself yeah, um, yeah, yeah. to those kids. But yeah, I'm still grateful that I can communicate enough uh, to, yeah, go to Japan and communicate mm-hmm. with my family and, and things like that. So that's uh, great. yeah, yeah. So that's kind of how I, I started things. And at the Japanese school as well, at Gladstone, uh, we did different cultural activities like mm-hmm. calligraphy and yeah. the tea ceremony, learning a bit about those elements as well, which was really great because that actually ended up feeding into my adult life and into my artistic yeah. practice, which is really cool. Yeah, I saw that that yeah, you learned uh, calligraphy. And yeah, that's that's you use that as part of your in your some of your work. And I read uh, I think it was one of your interviews. I can't remember which media that was. You were saying that Shoto calligraphy is kind of like a meditation. Uh, yeah, and yeah. yeah, I agree. I used to do it too when I was a kid mm-hmm. in Japan, and it wasn't really meditative for me. <laughs> it was yeah. just like, a, you know, kids. It's one of those things kids do after school. So, you know, some people go to piano, some people do uh, swimming or karate, whatever. And I had Shoto once a week. Um, and, but I do remember my sensei and, you know, obviously she writes this beautiful thing and I know she was kind of professional, but like when she was teaching kids, like we're just doing whatever, uh, yeah. but I still like it. And yeah, like I, I wouldn't call calligraphy my hobby or anything, but I like writing, uh, brush writing is, yeah, it's very meditative. And I think you mentioned something like you had to do like one kanji or one letter for so long. You don't just write and you don't finish. You keep doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that is something that is uh, commonplace in calligraphy, the way that teachers teach calligraphy, or if it was specifically uh, Murakami Sensei at the Mm -hmm. school that I went to. But yeah, for the lessons, it was once a week. And for the whole month, you just do the one kanji for the entire lesson. So she would continually give corrections with her red ink Mm -hmm. and point out the shapes that could be a little bit sharper or softer um, and lines that should be more connected, for example. And so to hone in on those details, I think when I was a kid doing calligraphy at Japanese school, I didn't find it meditative. (laughs) But as an adult, I felt drawn back to it. And then when I did go back to doing calligraphy. Um, this was in 2019 that I started doing calligraphy again. Um, and that was after like 10 years of not doing it at Mm -hmm. all. Um, that's when I realized how meditative it is and that focus and that repetition of writing the same kanji characters for one month at a time did help me find a sense of uh, yeah, focus and mm-hmm. discipline in a way that also what I was able to bring into the studio. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I contacted um, Murakami Sensei to ask yeah. if I could go back to doing lessons with her specifically. She mm-hmm. did feel kind of like 
kind of like a grandmotherly figure just from <laughs> being the headmaster of this Japanese school for all mm-hmm. the years I went there. And she really welcomed me back. And、uh, she let me sit in on the lessons that she was teaching,、yeah. even though mostly it was elementary school kids that were around、yeah. me. And they were probably <laughs>、yeah. wondering who this adult is <laughs> sitting in the class with them.、Um, but she really tailored the words and the kanji that she wanted me to write. Mm-hmm. As ones that would translate well into dance movement, because I、oh. had explained that it was research for choreography,、yeah. um, which would eventually lead to my solo piece, Residuals.、Yeah. And so she understood that and she said, okay, I think this kanji would have a really nice flow to it. So、mm-hmm. try doing this one. Wow. And then、um, she would give me corrections as well based on the way my arm and hand were moving the brush. And that、yeah. was really cool to have her thinking so much about that and、yeah. yeah. tailoring it to my experience. And yeah, I would go into the studio afterwards and bring all my paper with me with the kanji、mm-hmm. on them and spread them out all over the floor and started developing ways to embody the brush strokes in my body. Yeah.、And、that was kind of the start of choreographing that piece. That's so awesome.、Uh, yeah, I haven't seen、uh, residuals yet.、Um, and, you know, we're kind of working offline to hopefully, well, I think you're coming to Victoria. With that yeah, next it's, year, being, it's in the works, but yeah. yeah, yeah, the plan is to include Victoria as a stop on a, on a small tour across、okay. Canada. So、yeah. um, that would be amazing.、Um, yeah. And I know that there's such a thriving Japanese Canadian community in Victoria and、mm-hmm. the history of Japanese Canadians t- in the city as well. It would be so special to do、mm-hmm. it there. So we're still ironing out the details,、mm-hmm. but、uh, that is a plan. And, so exciting.、Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Cool.、Um, so, okay, well, we just talked a little bit before we started recording, but just what, what have you been up to <laughs> like this, this year, maybe? Yeah, 2023 yeah. has been. Um, kind of a dream for me because I really wanted to travel more for my dance projects. And that、yeah. was one of my goals was, you know, 2023, 2024, I want to travel more, share、mm-hmm. my work with other communities and audiences. And also, just I really enjoy traveling and、yeah. going to new places. So I wanted to do more of that. And this year, I think I have. I will be traveling total for five months out of the、wow. year, which、yeah. is way more、yeah. than I've ever done. Yeah.、Um, and I'm really grateful for that.、Um, let's see. So, we started off、uh, well, I did a little vacation to Korea and Japan with my partner, Stefan, in February. So, that、okay. was really great.、Uh, but that was just for vacation and visiting family.、Mm-hmm. And then March, April, May was traveling to Halifax to create a new live performance called Omote with、yeah. Mia Turnbull. She is that incredible、uh, visual artist and mask maker based in Halifax. So we worked、um, over five weeks in Halifax、mm-hmm. to create the choreography.、Yeah. And Julie Tamiko Manning, who you、right. also know, was our dramaturg. And- That was so amazing. And then we performed、uh, four shows in Montreal and three shows in Toronto as part of Can Asian Dance Festival. So、yeah. that was my spring.、Mm-hmm. And that was a really amazing experience. And Mia and I are in the process of、uh, developing ideas and applying for more funding to hopefully premiere a full length,、mm-hmm. like a longer version of the piece in yeah. Vancouver yeah. in 2025. So, already planning 2025. So exciting. But, yeah. So, that would be really great to be able to share that piece 
uh, on the West Coast where mm-hmm. um, my community is. And then in, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think of, yeah, June, I finished my yoga teacher training. So oh, that was, yeah, congratulations. Was, thank you. I'm a certified yoga teacher now. That's something great to have in my back pocket. Mm-hmm. And then July, I just spent the whole month working on a site-specific piece that is choreographed by my friend, Anya Sogstad. And it's a group work that is dance happening on the beach with live violin. And oh. we just toured and performed on uh, in Nanaimo, on Gali- or, sorry, on Vancouver Island, and Galliano Island, and Bowen Island. And we do have a show in Vancouver uh, second beach I believe as part of Vines Art Festival on August 9th so wow. that will be the culmination of that work mm-hmm. but that was so dreamy to just be able to dance on the beach every yeah. day uh, we nice. saw whales and seals oh, wow. and eagles and deer it was a lot of connecting with nature mm-hmm. uh, this past July so that, that was sounds really amazing great. yeah thank you that was so much fun and now just yesterday I started the rehearsal process for a new short solo work that I'm commissioned to create by Dumb Instrument Dance which is a company in Vancouver uh, art, with artistic director Zine Kwan and Zine has been a longtime colleague and she was my mentor when I actually just graduated from university. I did a mentorship okay. grant with her to just kind of transition into being a freelance artist. And so the two of us are going to have two solos in a mixed bill, um, in a double bill, I should say. Hmm. And I'll be working on that all through August and September. And our shows are at the end of September, beginning of wow. October. Yeah. Busy, busy. <laughs> so that's my next thing that I'm yeah, just yeah. Been diving into. That's awesome. Well, okay. Well, can I go back a little bit to the the piece you worked with Mia? Mm-hmm. So I want to bring up that the project we, well, we didn't directly work together, but I was part of the project last year. It's called You Made Digital Dreams. And uh, I believe that was... 14, maybe seven pairs of artists, Japanese Canadian artists paired together and they all collaborated. And that's where you met Mia, right? Did you know her before that? I did not know her before okay. that. And yeah. uh, Matt Miwa and Julie Tomiko Manning, who kind of heralded the project, yeah. sent out an email with all of the selected artists' email mm-hmm. or email addresses and their websites. So yeah. I was looking at every single person. And as soon as I saw Mia's work, I was just completely in awe and <laughs> I immediately thought oh my gosh I really hope I get to work with yeah, you yeah 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 and so yeah I didn't know her before that digital project where these artists from across the country were brought together and I think that's such an important thing to have been done and mm-hmm. I hope that more iterations of projects yeah. like that continue to happen because Canada is so wide and big that it is hard to cross paths with people who have been displaced um, Mm -hmm. historically and to have had the chance to meet so many people who I didn't know before. I really felt like a sense of belonging and felt like I'm a part of a community and now when I travel to different cities, um, people are like, oh, let's do dinner, get together and stuff. You know, we have our group chats and it's so nice to be part of that and I never as a younger person I never thought that that is something I would be a part of Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I, yeah, I didn't really consider myself Japanese Canadian because I didn't, my family didn't go through the internment and all of this right, right. history. So my personal connection was different and I just didn't know what I was allowed to be a part of, I right. guess. And so that's interesting. That's like a whole nother conversation. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I never but, really thought about that. Well, so, okay. So you never thought yourself as Japanese Canadian? Uh, not until I would say COVID happened and I started to connect with people who come from all different backgrounds and uh, have different connections to Japanese culture in this mm -hmm. country. That's when I realized that the term doesn't have a specific definition. Right. And now they're also, you know, at the gay symposium last September, we had discussions about language and about mm -hmm what these identifying terms mean and how yeah. they evolve and change and um yeah i think uh now i fully do consider myself japanese canadian and mm -hmm. i feel now that i feel part of the community it just yeah. makes sense that there are folks from all different um connections and backgrounds coming into mm -hmm. this network and connecting yeah. with each other it's all about just hearing each other's stories and getting to know everyone's past and their work and what they're moving into the future as and it's really great to kind of redefine those terms yeah. for myself to see it redefined for the community as well yeah yeah it's it's interesting because i think it kind of all those things sort of happen around the same time and i know there are always have been Japanese Canadian artists out there, right? Like all the people we call in our community, we call them like a legacy artists or, you know, like all the little bit older generation compared to us. And, and I know they probably went through something similar, but yeah, it's really interesting. And the Yume happened, then there's the gay symposium happened. And now we kind of have that I don't know how what to call it. It's almost like a, this, like a current or, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just this like a now big idea and not everyone's yet part of it. And some people are still kind of away from that, but some people are like, oh, like, like somebody like you, like, oh, I never considered myself Japanese Canadian, but is it okay I call Japanese Canadian? Everyone's like, yeah, of course, like, come on yeah, in. And, or exactly. like, you know, I'm not even Japanese Canadian. I'm just a Japanese artist, yeah. just happened to be living in Canada. Can I come in? And it was like, yeah, of course. And yeah. which is, and it, you know, nobody really um, planned to do that. We never say, let's have this, you know, here's our goal. Let's do, that's not how we did it. it just everything happened kind of naturally and I think it's pretty amazing, even, you know, if I say so myself as a person who's in that community. Yeah. And going back to the Yume thing, you know, I was just helping with the social media part of that project. And, you know, we had like 14 artists and I was asking Matt and Julie, how are we going to pair them? And she was mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, we're just going to have a Zoom meeting and see how they like and they kind of had to pick you know pick is kind of funny word but i would like to be paired with this artist and my second yeah. wish is this artist and the amazing thing is almost everyone got who they wanted to be paired with like mm. we didn't have to draw <laughs> or anything 
I didn't know that. That's yeah, some behind I, the scenes well, information. Or, <laughs> you know, or like, uh, you know, like, oh, oh, nobody picked me. Like, it's kind of like a kid in the playground sort of thing. I don't yeah. think any of that happened. It's almost, well, I don't, I don't, I wasn't the person who organized that, but mm -hmm. I think almost everyone kind of gravitated to each other. It's like, oh, I think this person's cool. I would like to work with this person. And the other yeah. person felt that way too yeah yeah I, I definitely felt that way with mia and was drawn to her work right away but the wonderful thing was that every artist that was a part of that was so different and everyone yeah. has such different practices such different aesthetics so many different things to offer that i think every single person if i i don't know if i can speak on behalf of everyone but i commonly heard that everyone was like i want to work with everyone like there's <laughs> yeah. you know everyone yeah. is a great match so i think that made it easier probably but right. there were many pairings that just felt like they were like really amazing matches yeah. so it yeah. was kind of like speed dating a little bit we got <laughs> yeah, to do really of. quick zoom uh breakout rooms and actually that sort of speed art meeting day mm -hmm. mia and i were the first two in the breakout room together okay um and uh, like we were the first two paired together and everyone else was talking to their first person yeah um and immediately i just said i really want to work with you you're my first <laughs> choice and she said the same thing to Aww. me which was so amazing so amazing. uh we decided then and there to request to be <laughs> working together yeah. and i'm really really grateful that we did um because the masks that Mia creates have so much depth of meaning mm -hmm. and visually are so fascinating to look at. And immediately, just from seeing photos of her masks, I got so many ideas of ways to make them come to life with movement and how uh, Mia and I can be representing our stories on stage and our mm -hmm. relationship to one another and how we could do that. It was really amazing to dive into that process and with you may digital dreams we first created a short five minute film mm -hmm. and that involved uh most of the creation of the choreography was on zoom so mm, wow. i took a cast of my face yes. and then i mailed it to mia in halifax yeah. and then she made my mask and then she sent it back to me yeah, so yeah, yeah. um and now i had my a mask of my face for the first time yeah and we created movement over zoom and we filmed some on zoom as well so we have some side to side footage mm -hmm. and then i happened to be going to halifax um during that read the you may digital dreams period uh, yeah. for a different piece on tour so i was like i'm going, coming to halifax let's just meet up for the first <laughs> yeah. time and quickly film together so yeah. that was pretty surreal to already have been working together for a few months and mm -hmm. then to meet in person for the first time and dance together and yeah my experience as a dance artist is usually when you're dancing in a space uh, and moving together side by side with someone, a lot of the time it's someone you're already quite familiar with. Like maybe mm -hmm. you went to dance school together, so you grew up dancing together or you've been taking dance classes mm -hmm. like in the city. And so there is a familiarity. But right. with Mia, it was our first time meeting face to face. Yeah. And then to go into performance mode uh, for yeah. the camera, it was quite <laughs> interesting. It was a new experience for me. Yeah. But that was really fun. And then since then, that film has gotten into a few film festivals screened mm -hmm. in multiple countries including Germany and wow. Bulgaria and uh, yeah, in Vancouver and in Halifax as well. So that's been a really great uh, progression of being able yeah. to share that film. 
that came out of You Made Digital Dreams. And then, as I said before, it's started being developed into a live performance. And yeah. we had really amazing feedback from live audiences who have seen the 20-minute sh- the version so far. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was really heartwarming. And yeah. a lot of people were like, have you been like best friends for 10 years or something? Like, have you been <laughs> right. working? We're like, this is our first project together. Yeah, yeah like, that's amazing. Yeah. So that was, that kind of feels like a, the universe kind of brought us right. together, yeah, as cheesy yeah. as it sounds, but mm-hmm. I felt like I was meant to meet Mia. Meant to, and, yeah. Yeah. And also our birthdays are like two or three days apart. Oh, so wow. I think okay. there's something, yeah, something yeah. going on. In That's the so cool. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. Okay. Well, then, then so that was, um, uh, that was like a beginning of last year, right? Like uh, you may, I think it was like, oh, no, no. I think it started it like, from January to May or something like yes, that. Yes, that's yeah. right. Um, then last year in the fall, in like about, yeah, in September, we had the Gay Symposium in Victoria and we had about maybe, well, close to 100 Japanese Canadian artists. And that's where I actually met you for the first time. Like I, you know, I knew you and we worked on the UMA digital gym. So we emailed and zoomed and, you know, that sort of thing. But it was the first time I actually saw you in real life. <laughs> and I remember you said, like, we're talking and you said, wait, is this the first time we see each other? <laughs> you said something like that. And I was like, yeah. And it's, But of course, it doesn't feel like that's the first time, right? Because we already yeah. knew each other. Yeah. yeah so how, how like was that. that experience for you? Yeah, it was really amazing. And the way that I said that to you, I said that with multiple other people, because (laughs) I think so many of us had crossed paths online, especially with the pandemic. There were so many more digital projects, either Mm -hmm. collaborations or also like artist panels going on. And I thought that that was really great way for me to meet uh, more Japanese Canadian artists. And yeah, like I was saying earlier, when I was going to university, um, I really had not connected with Japanese Canadian artists. I think I knew like Cindy Mochizuki a little bit and a couple other folks, but I really did not know that there was such a thriving, Mm -hmm. strong community of Japanese Canadian artists. And so the first time that I actually kind of started to feel connected was uh, through the NAJC. There was an artist panel for like Mm -hmm. next generation of JC artists, Um, but that was 2020 or 2021, I think. Okay. Were you were you involved in that? Because I feel like I saw you on the screen. Yeah, that's a, that's a Zoom one. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was so. on Zoom. Yeah, and there were just a few like Mayumi Lashbrook was that's in that right, Kunji. That's right, that's right. Kunji, yeah, yeah. yeah so right. that was when I first kind of knew of you, yeah. and so um, yeah. that's why I think I thought I, we had met in person <laughs> before. So yeah. I could have not believe we had it. Um, and since then, there were other ways to connect to people, like the um, You Made Digital Dreams, and mm-hmm. I was watching other people's projects online, and so the Gay Symposium really felt like a family reunion kind of Mm -hmm. which a lot of people I heard during that weekend saying that but at the same time it's funny because a lot of people were meeting for the first time but Mm -hmm. it felt like a reunion of sorts yeah yeah it was really special to be a part of that and to have been able to connect with artists and also the a few of the artists that I already did know and were already collaborating with, I felt like I got to become stronger in my relationships with them because we were spending 
uh, three days yeah. uh, together in the same space. We were sharing the hotel, you know, <laughs> all of these having meals together. Those yeah. experiences are really special. And um, yeah, I really felt like that was a pivotal point for me to be like really grounded in my self as a Japanese Canadian artist mm -hmm. and to feel yeah really part of the community so Aww. that was great yeah That's and great. To, yeah here the legacy artist speak was great too yeah who was your uh, roommate Mayumi Lashbrook and Hitoko oh. Okada my buddies <laughs> awesome. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so that, that's an amazing thing about this talking. community there's so like again like i keep using the word amazing there's so many amazing artists and and even if they're not artists they, i think i still wanted to hang out with them because they're great yes. people yes. yeah no i Absolutely. think we're very lucky um i wanted to ask like are you going to japan for a project is it next yes. year i'm going in october Okay. Of this year. Yeah. So in a couple of months, I'll be going to Kochi yes. with Mayumi Lashbrook yeah. to stay at uh, Ayumi Hamada's, um, who you introduced me to. Right. That's that's right. I forgot washi about paper that. Farm. Yes. So yeah. you introduced us over email. And since then, we're, we've been planning the trip. Um, there's actually another Japanese Canadian who is already there and she's going to be there for six months or something. Oh, her name wow. is Masumi Rodriguez. Okay. She lives in Montreal. I don't know if you know her, but no. we're going to be a little crew of Japanese Canadians oh, at this great. farm together. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, that, that was interesting because I knew Ayumi because she studied theater in Victoria. And I know she went back to Japan and in Kochi, she was making washi paper. And then I kind of felt, and she was doing sort of theater piece using washi paper. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And then you were doing something similar with the shodo. And, you know, because there's, of course, washi papers involved in that. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't remember whose idea what that was. Maybe I just thought to introduce you or I, think I can't. So. Right, because I thought because I didn't know about the residency until maybe you, you should. Me. That's right, and she's taking all this, you know, not necessarily artists, but I think she was initially she was taking in like tourists or like even like uh, foreign workers uh, mm -hmm. to help in the paper farm, I guess. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then I thought to introduce you, and yeah, but but the, at the gay symposium, the amazing thing was multiple people already knew Ayumi and this one person was already going to Japan there was a uh, Alexa Hatanaka and yeah so she's like secretly kind of known in our community but yeah. yeah that's another thing I wanted to I, I really want to like um Oh yeah, Ayumi came to my Japanese podcast, but I would like to have her on this one in English and maybe she can explain more about what exactly she's doing in Japan. And because I know there are so many artists who wants to Japan and, you know, collaborate with her, but, yeah. but you're going this fall. That's exciting. Yes. Yeah, we're really excited. It'll be a hands-on experience learning how to harvest the Kozo plant. And yeah learning about the whole process from plant to fiber into uh, breaking down the the plant into smaller smaller and smaller pieces and learning what that's like and then yeah. making it into washi paper 
And we hope to learn a little bit about how the washi paper then is made into kamito or thread and then mm. into shifu, which is fabric, yeah. Yeah. as that is kind of the direction that my project with Mayumi and Hitoko was going. Right. And yeah, but the, the washi paper is like at the heart of right. that piece. And it really is a way of connecting to Japanese cultural heritage craft mm -hmm. while mm -hmm. also just getting the chance to go to Japan yeah. for an artistic purpose. Mm -hmm. um, I've only gone um, throughout my life to visit family. I've never been able to go for anything that's part of my career. So yeah. I'm really excited to have this be the first step into hopefully going to Japan for multiple dance projects. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it'll be a nice three and a half to, I think it's a four week almost residency period yeah. at the farm. And then I'll go visit my grandma after. <laughs> <laughs> Where is your yeah. grandma in Gifu? She's in Gifu. She yeah. lives in a small city called Tokishi. Okay. And uh, so I would take the Shinkansen, I think, from Kochi um, and go through Nagoya and then go to Toki. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah it's nice that I'll be able to explore a bit and pro probably we'll stay in Tokyo a little bit as well. Yeah. But yeah, that this will be my exciting. first time going to Japan twice in one year. Yeah, be, no, that's really exciting. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's something I really want to, you know, help, like establish. And you know, I'm sure she's not the only person doing that in Japan, right? There are other sort of residency opportunities in Japan. So I want to look into that. And you know, those are the things I want to look into. But okay, well, that's such an exciting year for you. I'm so thrilled. Um, okay, so I want to ask you 10 questions. Okay. And Is it like a rapid fire? Kind of. Yeah, don't okay. think too much. Okay. Uh, okay. Some of them are a little bit serious than the others. But okay, the first one, what is your favorite Japanese food? Oh my gosh, I love takoyaki. Oh, <laughs> um, so much. It's been one of my favorites. And Gindako is the best takoyaki chain. They have the yeah. nice large size, yeah, crispy yeah, yeah. on the outside, soft on the inside. Yeah. So I will eat takoyaki as much as I can. Do you have takoyaki back. maker? Uh, we brought one when we first moved here, but then it broke and then my oh. family didn't buy another one. So maybe I should okay. bring one home this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would say that's one of my favorites, but also miso nikomi udon. Like miso oh. udon is like one yeah. of my favorites and my mom always made it growing up. So yeah. I make it a lot now. Uh, that sounds good. Okay. Uh, number two, what are you currently reading or last book you read? Oh, I am currently reading Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Walkmer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. which has been a really transformative book. I'm mm -hmm. a very slow reader, so I read one book over like multiple months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like but it's been, yeah, kind of a morning routine since I got back from my recent tour to just sit with my tea in the morning and oh. read a chapter. Yeah. Um, and that book is such an important reminder to be aware of our surroundings and to connect mm -hmm. with nature. So yeah. that's been the book I'm almost finished reading. Awesome. Okay. Uh, three, what was the biggest challenge you have faced so far and how did you overcome it? Oh my gosh. That's a big question. Yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges was the pandemic happening because yeah. I graduated from university in you know, middle of 2019, I was just starting to get my footing for what I wanted to create and how I wanted to be an artist. I had started my mentorship 
grant with Zine Kwan and was doing projects and halfway through that everything shut down. Mm -hmm. So I really started to just kind of panic a little bit. Um, you know, if dance projects were being on hold and performances were being on hold, I just didn't know if I was going to be able to perform again or yeah. I knew, you know, if we could get through the pandemic that art spaces would open up again but I was, didn't know if I had a place there mm -hmm. I just thought that maybe my career was like cut short before yeah. it even started kind of so there was a lot of kind of like a identity crisis or an existential sort of feeling of uh not knowing what I'm doing mm -hmm. and uh what career I wanted to do so I was just like looking at on Indeed for like <laughs> teaching English in Japan I, oh yeah. like teaching Japanese yeah. I don't know I was like looking for anything and yeah um I'm really glad that I had a support system of uh loved ones and uh friends and family around me and my partner who were like you know what no there are ways to continue creating mm -hmm. work and to continue to be creative you can I made a dance film outside or went yeah. during the first lockdown and there are things that we can do to not give up on your dream and so I'm glad that I was able to um, have those people encouraging me to continue going um, yeah. and then yeah my career was able to continue thankfully mm -hmm. um, but that was just like a, a scary moment of mm -hmm. not knowing and we all thought it was going to last two weeks and then <laughs> I know yeah it didn't, so. right right yeah. Yeah. Mm, okay. Thank you. Um, Yonban, what is your life motto? Oh, um, my life motto, a phrase that I learned when I was a teenager. So I was really fascinated with the New York City Ballet. Mm -hmm. And I just loved watching videos of them performing and rehearsing. And they had a documentary on YouTube about with multiple episodes about the mm -hmm. New York City Ballet. And I remember one of my favorite dancers who was a principal dancer in the company said that before she goes on stage, she tells herself a phrase, nothing to prove, only to share. And she says that to herself every single time before going on stage, just to remind herself that she's not trying to outdo anyone, right? level up. And because that can be a good motivator sometimes, but also it just puts, it creates a competitive sort of right. mindset. And I have been telling myself that since I learned that phrase when I was probably 13 or 14. I love and, that. That's great. Yeah, There's like no favorite. ego, right? Yeah. And I, I, I try to remind myself of that because I do yeah. get wrapped up in, I, I tend to compare myself to other people and have some negative self-talk. And that phrase has been a great way to ground myself and come back to what is at the heart of what I'm doing. Yeah, That's beautiful. Thank you. Okay, number five. What are you afraid of? Um, failure. Okay. <laughs> I, I could say spiders or something. Right, right. Yeah. Um, oh gosh. Yeah, I um I'm kind of a perfectionist and mm -hmm. I tend to get really disappointed or angry at myself if I don't do something exactly the way I hope to do it, or if a situation didn't go the way that I want it to go. So uh, especially through my yoga teacher training and learning mm. more about yoga philosophy and um, sort of having some moral guidelines for how to go through life. I've been focusing intently on trying to let go 
and let go of a sense of control, mm-hmm. which as a Virgo, it's kind of hard to let go. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, I, I do um, have this, yeah, fear of failure, which I think a lot of people do. Right. I'm also afraid of just where the world is going with climate change right. and, and habitat destruction and everything, especially reading, um, braiding sweetgrass mm-hmm. and um you know, watching nature documentaries and stuff. It's kind of scary what's going on. It is. It is. Yeah, I do have a bit of a dark sort of cloud over my head sometimes when I think about just the state of the world. And I wonder how I can do things to have less impact on the environment. But it's also hard to um, feel strong and motivated by that when you're like one person in this world of billions of people and corporations that are polluting the the earth and all of this. So those are some of my fears. (laughs) Do you think that, you know, the afraid of failure thing, do you think, is that a Japanese in you? Probably a little bit. Um, I think something that I was really scared of doing was disappointing my mom who is Mm. Japanese and she's out of my parents. She's a little bit more, I guess, like fourth, like very more forward with what her expectations are um, and what things should be like or how people should be. And um, I know that that is also like a great characteristic because she was really adamant about raising me and my sister to be, Mm -hmm. um, you know, polite and, um, also like caring and and you know these different amazing things but uh I also was scared of not fulfilling her expectations and I explore a lot of this concept actually in my solo piece residuals because yeah I wanted to shave my head I wanted to get tattoos like parts of my personal identity um Mm -hmm. and as a queer person as well and figuring out my gender identity that didn't seem to fit with Japanese cultural and social expectations so I felt almost like I just didn't know what was allowed as Mm -hmm. part of just how I was allowed to be um and it almost felt like there were pieces of um, puzzles inside of myself that didn't fit together Mm -hmm. um, because of the ways that I wanted to be and the ways I wanted to live and move and express myself as I move through the world didn't seem to fit with my Japanese family's strict expectations. Right. So there was a lot of navigating the self and I feel like it's an ongoing journey of Mm -hmm. self-discovery, but the fact that calligraphy, which is this very old traditional practice for me felt like a portal to navigate how I want to live in contemporary society. Mm. That was a really fascinating thing to discover that the old is helping me live in the present and into the future. Uh, And I feel like I discovered a lot about myself through creating that dance piece. Um, Yeah, but there's definitely a fear of uh, not fulfilling expectations. Uh, That is a little bit of a Japanese part of me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. And I, I'm a very non-Japanese like person because I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm pretty relaxed, I think. And, you know, that's, that also means I'm kind of sloppy, you know, <laughs> in Japanese standard. Um, but I know there are like, you know, a lot of my friends and even my, my mother wasn't like that either. She was pretty, she's a pretty sloppy person. <laughs> um kind of loosey and 
you know, she would get mad at me for certain things, but it wasn't really necessary. I wouldn't really call that strict. Maybe that's why I'm, I'm like this, but, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I don't want to stereotype it, but in general, the tendency to tend to be a lot of, you know, responsibility, respectfulness and, you know, politeness, those things are important. And, mm-hmm. and I know it's coming from a good place, but often that mm-hmm. can be, you know, sort of double-edged sword and, it's it's tough and i i know a lot of people you know struggle with that struggle with that yeah definitely and i think also kids who are mixed and have Mm. japanese ancestry and other cultural heritage as well i felt like i was code switching or like very differently depending on what space i was in and who was in the room yeah so when i was with like my group of friends who were like all um asian friends and like they would really see me like as a white person and like um also my japanese family they're like i'm kanzen ni gaikokujin and mm-hmm. like I, you know i'm very foreigner vibe and um the way that i act also doesn't fit with like um the japanese standards that i could see that my family uh was grew up with and and fulfilled mm-hmm. but then with um in in mostly white spaces or with my like Canadian side of the family on my dad's side like our Japanese-ness was really highlighted or it was like oh you're so polite you're so listen (laughs) that and um and I just felt like I wasn't enough of one or the other right it was like kind of a confusing melting pot of emotions because of that do you get like um when you go to Japan do people react differently to you like they think you're from like outside Japan yeah definitely they ask uh why I can speak Japanese or like um if I went to school university yeah. here and then I always have my story of like you have to explain oh, it yeah and I'm always like oh mother thank you too none of them I Japanese but I'm still studying but I explain I'm, I'm like oh my mom is from Gifuken yeah. and they go oh okay yeah yeah so, yeah yeah, like, like yeah. I think everyone who is sort of and even i'm not even you know i'm not technically a mixed person but i live in in canada for so long so when i go back i'm you know just going to the store and they notice like they're like i I said i'm no i'm I'm from japan but i don't live here i live in canada it's like oh like they get that all the time and wow. and i know every mixed person have similar experience in japan mm-hmm. and even not the mixed person so yeah it's that's a that's a completely different topic and it's very very yeah. big conversation i'm sure everyone have a lot to say about that but yeah we're kind of getting yeah. used to it and yeah and most people have the prepared speech for that to explain totally yeah. yeah since i was little developed that prepared speech yeah and it to it's kind of like an ongoing mm-hmm. uh journey to get to a place just a feeling within myself to just remind myself again there's nothing to prove just right. got to share who i am yeah. Yeah. and i there's no one way to be anything right. or anyone so um just kind of acknowledging that I am uh, an, a culmination of all of these different parts of myself, whether it's my heritage, but also like my career and mm-hmm. my personality and um, all of these things and every single person is different. So yeah, I think um, that's going to be still an ongoing journey for me to feel really grounded yeah. in my identity, but um, 
I, I'm looking forward to the future and, <laughs> and feeling more confident. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you. Well, okay. Um, where were we? Do, 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 do. I can okay. I can rapid fire for real through the next <laughs> Okay, number six. Can you share one thing from your bucket list? Ooh, one thing about my bucket list. Well, this is not super exciting, but I do hope one day to build a tiny house on wheels. And um, I want to have this. I feel like this is kind of an increasingly common dream, but mm -hmm. I want to live either on the island or on the Sunshine Coast and um, have a little village of tiny houses with friends who are like-minded and mm -hmm. want to live a slow life. And I want to grow um, my own food. And yeah. um, one specific thing is that my partner is very into coffee, like artisan coffee uh, and pour. And so I imagine like a window that opens from the kitchen and then like a counter that flips up mm -hmm. from the outside and we could put a little open sign and people Aww. from the community could come and buy a cup of coffee. <laughs> That's so cute. So that's kind of my kind of future dream. Yeah. Um, I'd love to live in a quieter place, um, close mm -hmm. to nature, but still close enough to the city that I could come back for dance projects and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of my dream, like living situation bucket Aww. list is to build a tiny house that has elements of Japanese architecture in it. Right. too. Yeah, I, I really want a hinoki bath. You want a hinoki bath in the small tiny house? Yep, I'm gonna make okay. room for it. <laughs> I will make no, space. it's lovely. That's that's wonderful. Okay, yeah, great. I, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Number seven. So I, I don't know how to say shimanagashi in English, but like you were sent you did something and somebody said we're gonna send you to a desert island as a punishment. You gotta go there by yourself what would you take you allowed to take just one thing you can't obviously you can't take people you can't take cell phone you can't take boat oh my gosh and essentials like water and food are Anything. not included um yeah let's let's say you know like a food like a certain food and water is provided but so okay. that you're not gonna die there but <laughs> hmm. okay what do i take i'm looking around my house right now um, I, I like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to take. I would probably, I would want to take a book, but I feel like I'd get tired reading the same book, hmm. unless there's a book that I really love. Um, I do love the book Just Kids by Patti Smith. I okay. bought that when I was a teenager and my grandma bought it for me and I really love that book and I've read it many times so maybe that's a book that I okay. would take with me to keep me company yeah. um or maybe I hope this is not animal abuse but maybe I would adopt a dog and bring the dog with me I really would <laughs> love I really want yeah a dog. having a companion yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, that, that's actually a good answer yeah and we can awesome. walk around the island together <laughs> okay um eight what makes you feel vulnerable uh depending on the project some dance performances i actually don't feel that vulnerable because i feel like i'm stepping into a character mm. in a way especially if it's a work that is not something i've choreographed but i'm dancing right. in someone else's work i feel like i'm fulfilling their vision and um this is not always the case but there have been some times where i'm like okay i'm doing my job but when it comes to creating my own work especially with 
residuals, my solo, um, I feel so vulnerable on stage. It's not just because of this thing that dancers do that is just vulnerable in itself. Yeah. We're on stage sometimes with no sound or music. All yeah. the audience can hear is your breathing yeah. and all of the eyes are on you and um, to hold space for an audience in that way is something that uh, can feel really vulnerable at times. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a section at the end of the piece where I speak a little bit and it's like a mishmash of English and Japanese together. And I always feel super vulnerable there Aww. because I, I feel like um, I go back a little bit into my child self where I'm mixing English and Japanese in the same sentence. And it sounds a bit messy and like maybe not grammatically correct, but it's the way that I always talked with my family. And um, I feel in that piece, like I'm bearing my, myself a yeah. little bit and I know a lot actually. And I feel almost like naked in a yeah. way, even though I'm not physically naked. Yeah. Um, so that performance in particular feels quite vulnerable. Um, and other times that I feel vulnerable, I, I am still learning how to take up space in, and feel comfortable sharing stuff that's on my mind or things that mm -hmm. I'm going through with other people. Um, I started going to therapy maybe like uh, two years ago. And that was my first time. It took me so long to even book the appointment because I was just so nervous to start going to therapy. And my family really didn't like talk about right. therapy as something that is like a common action to do or like a common mm -hmm. activity to do, or that some yeah. is something that would be helpful. And um, the first free 15 minute consultation, yeah. the therapist said, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. And I just started sharing like my name and what I do. And I just started crying so much oh. just from explaining, like taking up their time by saying yeah. that. So, so is it coming from like nervousness or like a fe feeling vulnerable? You cry? I think, yeah, I think feeling vulnerable because the only reason for that phone call and for the therapy sessions is to talk about myself right and i felt like that was a scary thing to do right that's and, like a whole point right to take up yeah. space <laughs> yeah yeah and i remember growing up i now that i reflect back after going to therapy i noticed that go, growing up i listened to a lot of what my friends were talking about and some of them are so comfortable just saying oh i have this on my mm -hmm. mind or this and this and i was the listening person mm -hmm. and i didn't often uh, take my turn because right. I was just so scared to um, and I didn't want to burden people also by taking up their time with my problems so that's a unlearning that I'm doing yeah 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 so therapy makes me feel super vulnerable yeah. or just no, talking that's, to friends that's, that's yeah. great well thank you for sharing that's great okay um number nine what are you hooked on right now Mm. Oh my gosh. Well, for a while, it, it, like last fall into this spring, I was really hooked on K-dramas suddenly. <laughs> like I had never watched them. And Many people was, are, yeah. Yes. And I, my sister watched K-dramas when she was younger and stuff. She's younger than me. So she always told me about it, but I was like, I ah, just never was interested. Yeah. And the 
how committed I get to the story and I'm just like alone in my room watching these K-dramas and I'm like gasping and screaming based on what's happening it's ridiculous yeah but um crash landing on you on oh Netflix. my god everyone talks about that I I'm I'm kind of like you I'm kind of avoiding it because because I know if I cross that line I'm no one's gonna see me and my yeah, husband yeah. is obsessed and he's always watching K-drama. He's always telling oh me, God. you should really watch this. I, I know I, you know, recommended this one, but the one I'm watching right now is even better. You should. And um, we recently just watched uh, one series and it wasn't uh, like a romance. It was more like an action because my okay. son was into it. And it yeah. was interesting story, but I'm like, cool. I'm not gonna start watching it by myself. But, yeah. but there's so many people who are really into it because you know, there's storytelling and yeah. Yeah, and it's a different type of filming and mm -hmm. um, acting and yeah. like North American media, I feel. So yeah, I was hooked on that for a while, but lately I haven't been watching as much, um, but something that I've, been doing over the last two weeks almost every night is a cup of chamomile tea with some oat milk and some pieces of dark chocolate i just take a sip of tea and then a bite of dark chocolate and those that ah, combination nice. yeah, is yeah. so good and then that's so you know that's so healthy you know i know it's it's indulging but still healthy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i feel like that's... an obata and i love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's like a very yeah it's very self-care like mm -hmm. that's awesome Great. Um, okay, so the last question, what are you grateful for? Oh my gosh, so much. I'm grateful to live in Vancouver, which is such an expensive city. And mm -hmm. there are so many people who don't have homes right. here. And to have a home in a neighborhood like Mount Pleasant, where I've always wanted to live, I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, I live in an artist apartment building okay. and I wouldn't be able to afford to live in this neighborhood if I didn't uh, get support from this artist building, mm -hmm. me and my partner. So I'm so grateful to have a roof over my head and in this particular part of the town. Um, and I'm grateful to be able to create movement and performance yeah. as my career. I still pinch myself and I still explain to my parents that it's like, you know, it's a real thing that I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's hard to explain what I do to people. And I think a lot of artists experience that mm -hmm. with folks who are not familiar with the arts. It's hard to explain that this is your career and this is mm -hmm. what you're committing yourself to. And um, I'm just really grateful that I get to create and perform dance and uh, get to travel to share yeah. uh, with other people and other communities i'm so so grateful for that and i think vancouver is a pretty special artistic community as well mm. um, it's kind of a small big city so i feel like a lot of people are uh, pushed just because of the conditions of the artistic community here to um to create their own work and like to kind of do DIY sort of methods to mm -hmm. creation. Um, you know, the, the infrastructure for arts is different here than in Europe, for example, or even Montreal, places like that. So um, I think Vancouver is kind of special in the way that uh, people navigate creating and collaborating. And it's a small community where a lot of people know each other. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm also, yeah, grateful to live on unceded land in so-called Vancouver and um, hoping to just continue to learn and grow and um, apply decolonial 
methods and actions into my everyday life. Great. Well, thank you so much, Shion Sky Carter, for coming to my podcast. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Yukari-san. Thank you. Hi there, it's Gord Patin from Kuribun Radio, and you're listening to Dual Perspectives with Yukari Peerless. How did you like the conversation with Shion Sky Carter? I really enjoyed listening to this conversation when I was editing. I especially loved the quote, nothing to prove, just to share. It's such a profound reminder. I also admired and appreciated her honesty about fear and anxiety. That's the kind of conversation I'm looking for in this podcast. You can find out more about Xi'an and follow her on all of her social accounts through the show note. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and if you did, please subscribe, like, and share. If you want me to make more episodes, please consider supporting me on Substack. I have English and Japanese Substack, and the English one is still brand new, but I hope to start writing more there. This episode was written, created, and edited by me, Yukari Peerless, in the traditional unceded territories of the Lakwangan people, also known as Victoria, BC. The music is courtesy of Pump Up the Mind. I will see you next time. Until then, thank you for listening. <laughs>